1: one.
2: Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Derek Jungi, uh, VP of Engineering at Right Networks. Uh, I'm the host for today. Uh, to, joining me is software and data consultant Tom Kowalski. Tom, um, hello. We've also got a few subject matter experts on our topic, uh, which is GitHub Actions uh, runners on Kubernetes. Um, I've got with us Norman Witt. Norman? Hello. And then uh, Kevin Locus. All right. So, um, yeah, today we're going to be discussing uh, GitHub Action Runners uh, and uh, the GitHub the Kubernetes controller. Um, some of the cool things we can do with that. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, get started here. So, um, yeah, I... I Decided to bring Kevin and Norman. Um, I know both these these fellas have been uh, using uh, GitHub Actions on cubes uh, to, to something extent in here. So um, Norman, what you been up to?
1: Well, uh, yeah, as you said, we've been we we've been using the um, self-hosted runners and GitHub Actions. Uh, uh, hosting them on kubernetes um this is a project that we recently took on uh, uh about a month about a month ago so pretty new to us um and we've had uh, a, a problem that needed to be solved for a long time um where we needed something to be able to run it in our deployment pipelines um inside of our virtual pri- our vpc you know we needed uh, private subnet communications in our uh in our uh, deployment pipeline so that we could uh run database migrations and um deploy uh you know business process uh logic to the the bpmn engine and all kinds of stuff like that you know um and we were just, we had so many workarounds for, for doing this. And so finally we, uh, um, uh, started to use, uh, to, to look into and get set up our, our self-hosted runners. And we were at first running them in just regular EC2 instances and they were really buggy. Um, they weren't, um, self-destructive. Which is uh, something that I learned is really important with self-hosted runners. You don't want your self-hosted runners to cache Docker builds or um, get artifacts or uh, you know or any other or any kind of artifacts from uh, production builds or or anything like that. So um, without being able to self-destruct and basically keeping it keeping itself open after it's it was being used uh the um self-hosted runners were were not ideal in the, in that situation uh, we had just moved our all of our microservices over to kubernetes um and we had and and the uh subject matter expert uh, at our uh on our team Came to us and said, "Hey, we have these uh, self-hosted runners that you can put in your Kubernetes cloud now." And and then he went over all the benefits with uh, of them with us. And so those benefits were, you know, things like, uh, well, you know, the, the cluster runs in our VPC, so we have that uh, uh, private subnet communication with our our uh, microservices, databases, uh, oh. things like that. We have they, they're, um, they're, self- they're 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 self scaling and self destructing. So um, after a single use, it the 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 pod will com- will destroy itself, it will completely shut down. So all the cache, build cache, Docker cache, all the stuff that's inside of that uh, pod will um, are, are gone as soon as the the self hosted runner is done running and then um self scaling uh we want to have a certain amount of uh runners that are available at all times so that when they hit the the pipelines those they're they're ready to go without delay but as soon as those um runners are in use uh what we want them to scale up we want more of them to be available um on demand so that you know if another deployment is coming through they can be used uh especially for all the different types of uh, purposes that we use them for so they detect the scaling rules detect when the uh uh, the self-hosted runner is active meaning when once uh github reaches out to that runner and starts a job on it it's
2: um it's 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 triggering the scaling rules. Okay, so you've got you've got some that are sitting around, kind of waiting. But once once one of those gets a job, it triggers the scaling rule to build another mm-hmm. one. To sit yeah,
1: exactly. Okay. And then and then and then we have. I kind of wish it, I could just tell it, hey, you know, I want, you know, twenty runners available at all times. But instead of do being able to to tell it an amount of uh, free runners that I want, I, it has to do it like, um, uh, multiply. And so, so the way I've got it set up now is that if half of the runners are in use, it doubles the amount of available runners. Okay. And, um, so, you know, like, let's say there's 20, let's say there's a 20 minimum count and the 50% mark is 10. So if there's 10 active runners in use, it'll scale up to 40 yeah and if there's 20 active uh runners in use then it will scale up to 8 and then we put a cap on how many we want it to be able to or we, we want how many we want it scaling up to at once so that we don't have it you know
2: going exponentially there mm-hmm. yeah, but, i think that's kind of interesting you know you said you you want you kind of wanted it to uh, just be able to say always keep this many available But it sounds like um, the way that they're doing that is probably to help reduce, like, rubber banding. And, like, you know, if you've got one... uh, um, If you've just got one job running or something like that and there is available capacity, like, there's probably not a need to spin up an extra one um, when this one's going to destroy and just right? I
3: mean,
1: we would like... I would like to have that. I would like to just tell it to say, hey, I want 20... I want it to scale up as as much as it needs to, to keep twenty available at all times. And then there's always twenty that could be grabbed onto. And then they scale down once they've been used, used, and they've been destroyed. Um, and then the 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 way that they destroy themselves uh, is kind of ties into the scaling as well. You know, so if you have twenty runners that are active, and it scales up another twenty. Uh, so that there's 23 and there's 20 or 20 uh, unused and 20 active runners. Um, when those 20 that are active are finished and they destroy themselves, those 20 that just scaled up now become the pool of 20 available um, for, you know, the minimum count of computers. Yeah. So
2: if-
0: If these are ephemeral and, you know, you're not caching, do you have performance issues if they're, you know, coming up blank each time and have to grab everything that they need?
1: No, not necessarily. The only thing that we're having some issues with, and this is um, some some kind of legacy stuff that we have going on, is that some of our end-to-end tests run uh, Postgres in a Docker image on the on the runner and i would like to kind of migrate that out of the runner and have it just deploy a post a temporary postgres um database in another pod and then use that pod for the, for, for postgres instead of just running it all in a in a single docker compose script you know but the um and so we would we would were running into you know iops issues with that uh running inside of that pod like that uh where we need to if we're going to keep going the way we're going we're we need to like provision uh like a higher IOPS uh, uh volumes for it to run on but like other than that no it's like you get the uh the resources of the nodes that you choose you know we're running our nodes are. We're, we're, so this is uh, this is on AWS, of course. Uh, if um, the if that uh, nomenclature I've been using so far wasn't obvious, but <laughs> uh, so this is on AWS. So we're using the um, AMD EPIC instances, and they have like. Okay,
2: so yeah, that, that was going to be my question. I was going, to, you know, what what's your cluster running on? It sounds like a CC2. You know. They're running. So in the not of... like Docker. Docker, Docker.
1: yeah. And they're running, and they, 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 I think our clusters nodes have at least sixty-four gigs of RAM and sixteen thread, uh, uh, CPU threads available, something like that, per per node, and so, and then they scale up pretty quickly too. So if we need, you know, so so they the, those can scale up and down as we need them and and some of our accounts the ones that aren't running production um runners oh some of our clusters run on spot instances and we have a really cool we have a really cool thing set up where those it just looks for whatever uh, spot instances are available at the cheapest prices and then spins them up and down uh, as needed and you know the worst thing that could happen i think is you could lose two nodes at the same time, before or lose one node, and lose a second node before they it's they're able to spin up that that missing node, and that's like the biggest risk you take there. So we don't do that in our production uh, uh, clusters or or our production pipelines.
0: Do you do you run a cluster specifically for these runners? One
1: of our clusters, yes, is actually specifically dedicated to these runners.
0: Okay, is there like a cost you know having these you know running all the time is it does it cost more than you know just using GitHub actions um uh, with their runners well we've done the math
1: and the cost is about 20 times more for the get for the for the GitHub uh runners uh especially well when you look at the compute time costs especially when like some of our uh runners are running in like 16 gigs uh four core uh uh uh, runners Hmm. which which we had the provisions uh uh like a specialty provisioning from Mm. github to be able to get those to access to those um the, the 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 what the the amount that they charge for compute time is like 20 times more than what we pay for ec2 and and that's just the retail price of ec2 we also have our bulk discounts on top of that and, um, some other savings by using the spot instances in some of our clusters. So like the savings are definitely, uh, um, quite significant.
0: What were some of the workarounds? Like you said, like you want to run data grace, database migration scripts. So how were you doing that? And then how did it make it easier? Um, but migrating that,
1: oh, that was convoluted. We were, I think, that what we were doing was we were running a code build job. Okay. And then that code build job was inside of the was was attached to the VPC private subnet, so it could access the database. And then there was like another code build job in the pipeline that triggered that code build job job and monitored its progress and return back the logs. It was really convoluted, you know. There's so now it's just
0: a, a better experience now because you can see all the logs, the whole orchestration and flow right inside GitHub Actions. Yeah, and the, yeah. and part of
1: this migration as well was that we had started out with all of our um, deployment pipelines being in code pipeline and AWS uh, using uh, at the what tw- at the time was called CDK pipelines, which is now just a feature of uh, the pipeline of code pipeline. So mm-hmm. um, the CDk you know that generates your cloud formation templates and then it um de- uh, deploys into a code pipeline, and then that code pipeline is self-mutating so that like uh, when you update your CDK code, it automatically mutates the uh, the pipeline and then deploys it. So it's, it was, it's, I mean, in theory, it was a really neat little system, but it was so slow and there was lots of problems and there's a lot of convoluted ways of ways of doing things. Yeah. And i more support by switch switching everything over to Terraform. Cause we're getting like uh, our IEC provided to us by our central, centralized, uh, you know, uh, DevOps department that services a bunch of different companies and then and then sw- and then and then part of that was also migrating over from Fargate to Kubernetes and uh we have a really good support system for Kubernetes as
0: well. Nice. Yeah another thing that advantage that I would see and you know, issues that I ran into is is waiting. Uh when I had to you know wait for a job or you know, wait a few hours before deploying to another yep. region or something like that. I could see the, the runners making it a lot cheaper, right? If they're, they're sitting there, you know, already idle instead of paying for it. There's workarounds that we did, you know, with, with just GitHub Actions, but the runners, I see that making that a lot easier. Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. Nice. And then, yeah, and then we wanted to change all of our pipelines over to GitHub Actions, and we've eliminated 95% of the, the CloudFormation Code pipeline stuff. So, like, I would say ninety five percent of our pipelines are now in GitHub Actions, um, and uh, there's like a small amount left that's still in in CDK and Code Pipeline, and um, and this, and so and so, just having that all there in GitHub Actions with the logging and the and in using our self hosted runners has just been. A really great way for us to really just consolidate all of our uh, deployment into, you know, a really very useful tool that that I, I just I'm I swear by GitHub Actions now with with
2: with my experience there. So yeah, it's definitely grown on me as well. It's you know, uh, you know we went from like oh yeah Jenkins is a tool to being like GitLab GitLab uh, CI's really really nice and then it's like you know actions caught up and I, you know kind of further this pipe yep.
1: yeah yeah where they did a really good job another another advantage too that we have with um having our self-hosted runners in um and like i said we have one cluster that's dedicated to uh self-hosted runners or deployments is is basically what it's 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 dedicated to and then you know, that's running inside of a VPC that's in that account. So we can take those on uh, that gateway IP addresses, and then we can allow the allow list those with our third party vendors so that whenever we have to add new vendors and new testing and all that stuff, it's always the same IP addresses that we uh, have to allow list to uh, get those working and then set it and forget it and not have to wor- you know, worry about, uh, moving those to other VPCs and stuff
2: like that. Interesting. So like your your infrastructure, like I would assume you're probably running multi multi multi-account, right? Yes. Yeah. And then so each one of those accounts has a VPC. And inside that VPC you need to get to that database to be able to do CM migrations. So when you're doing those deployments, you're actually just calling your your runner inside of that You know that set of nodes for your cluster that's 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 an interesting take um
0: so wait so so they those nodes are running in like that where where the application is or is it completely separate
1: no the nodes well there are some yes this there there are some nodes or there are some um runner the 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 self-hosted runner pods right uh, are some of them are running in the same cluster as the applications are running in. Those are the ones that would be being used to be you able know, deploy database migrations and got it process uh, logic and, and things like that where they need that um VPC communication to be able to do that. But everything else is either run in GitHub hosted uh runners or our self hosted runners and usually the self hosted runners in that case are needed because we have allow lists for, you know, the uh, outbound traffic for with our third party vendors and even some of our own internal services.
2: How do you make sure that someone like a bad internal actor doesn't like commit something to your action that then gets ran inside of the you know, production cluster or something like that? Is it that you like? How's the flow though, to protect um running an action in, in, inside of that um like you know those higher level accounts? Um we do build a lot of our own actions.
1: And some th- and so those actions are protected with like, you know, regular branch protection. And then um outside of that we do like use very specific versioning for the um, for the third-party actions that we use, you know, so that we can vet them and use them, and then tie them to minor revisions, so that you know, uh, like if you had, for example, had it pointed at like version two, and so and someone published a uh, malicious version two that 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 was defaulted to by the generic, and right. it would then it would uh, it would it, it would stick to at least the version that you've, um, that you've, that you've set. So, you know, let's, that's, that's, that's more of a, a process of vetting whatever we use and mm-hmm. making sure to use very specific versioning and things like that. But uh, um, yeah.
0: So, so what does the organization, right. Of the infrastructure as code look like for all of this in the pipelines is like each, App workload kind of maintain its pipeline and and what runners it's it's going to and or is it kind of centrally manage the infrastructure? Uh,
1: so there's um there's a a Helm chart for these GitHub Actions runners. So um without going into the weeds on our applications, um the the host the self-hosted runners themselves have um Helm charts that you uh deploy and. Um, then you have configurations that you deploy that configure, uh, the, the runners themselves, you know? So there's like a, an orchestrator that you deploy with Helm. And, uh, that doesn't even require like a, we did custom things with ours that record that we use a values file for, but like, you can just out of the box, deploy that with your, with a Helm chart, uh, or from the command line and uh, get that started right away. And then, so so yeah, so then you start to deploy your configurations, which, which tell the uh, orchestrator, you know, um, what your scaling rules are, what your minimum counts are, what your, you know, maximum counts are, what image, what actual image to use, so on and so forth. And then um, it will uh, spin those up keep and then just, and and you know, spin up your initial number that you set of uh, self-hosted runners and then just manage the scaling of them from there. So it's really easy. It's like, you know, a couple of configuration files and a couple and a a Helm deploy and a few cube control uh, commands and you're you're ready to go. It's like pretty, pretty quick, pretty quick to set that up.
0: Okay, so it's more of like a manual process then and. Or is it, like, the the team, you know, that's owning that workload application, are they, you know, able to spin it up, right? Is it kind of self-service for them, or does it require, like, yeah, like, an infrastructure team to spin that up? Well,
1: uh, yeah, it requires the infrastructure team to manage Okay. It. At least it's it's very self-like, set it and forget it, you know? Like, we, don't, we may tweak it here and there, uh, but, like, once it's deployed, you just... Don't have to worry about it anymore. It's, it will just keep scaling up and down as as you have it set. And um, um, one thing to to mention too, and you know, there's the I, I definitely encourage everyone to look at the GitHub for the uh, GitHub Actions runner system. Um, I know Derek had posted that in the uh, in the general chat there, but the 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 GitHub shows where there's uh. Docker files for building out the runner images and and you know, you're probably going to want to customize those images to you know include command line tools that you need or or things like that. you know they're based on Ubuntu so they're pretty easy to work with. But um, there are three modes, and uh, well, none of them were actually were, were actually ideal in our situation. And so I wanna kinda highlight this because uh, we're currently looking for a fourth option, whether that's something that we find from the uh, the creator of this, or from the repo that we got this from, or if we kind of bake uh, something ourselves for it. But um, our, well, the first mode is um, where it runs two separate images. It runs Docker in one image, and then it runs Ubuntu in the second image, and then it uh, mounts the uh, Docker socket into the Ubuntu image. The second way to do it is to have what's called Docker in uh, Docker, Docker or something like that, D&D, where um, you have one Ubuntu image and Docker is running inside of that image. The third option is uh, Docker and Docker, but it's, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, it's rootless. Um, and so in the first scenario, you have a, um, a Docker image that's running as root, which, so that's the problem with that, that actually raises flags in our system saying, hey, you know, we don't want you running um any images as root so the docker image runs as root but the um uh the ubuntu image uh has pseudo access uh the use the the user on the ubuntu image has pseudo access same with the uh, docker in docker uh image where docker is actually running inside of ubuntu uh that has uh, a a user with pseudo Privileges as well. The third option, um, the user does not have uh, pseudo privileges, but it's impossible to use Docker, or at least out of the box, it doesn't. It does seem possible to use Docker, and we're trying to f- work with that third image to see what we can do. Because in 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 real life, in a real life setting, you don't need pseudo privileges to be able to use Docker. You should be able to do that by just adding a user to the Docker user group um and so we're not sure why that doesn't work in the or that wasn't implemented in any of the three options that we were given um and obviously you know either having a, a image run as root or having a user with pseudo privileges is not ideal in a production environment um so we're we're looking into that but uh um yeah that's uh, uh that's kind of um one of the big flaws that that we have seen so far
0: yeah i, I could imagine I, I followed a bit of that it was a lot of like inception i felt like um yeah the doctor and doctor thing has always kind of been
2: it's <laughs> i don't know um there's not great options for it but it, yeah it's, it's also kind of a tricky thing like, you know, of course how could you like it's like the whole part of all part of Docker is to, you know, um put yourself in a bin. Uh, so yeah, getting outside of it is yeah, kinda of strange. Um yeah
3: difficult. And it's it's that way for a reason, right? right? Container runtimes, I will say, have made uh got a lot they've made a lot of progress on that front. Um especially like podman's approach to it um because you can basically run podman in podman um just they run docker images as well but it can be all rootless and there is no daemon process it's all this kind of linux file system trickery, uh which means that a lot of those extra security issues and not just with Docker and like having to mount the Docker socket around and have this running process that uh even if the user doesn't have root, the Docker process has root. Um which become kind of non-issues. So I've been I, I run a lot of like, my personal dev stuff stuff that I do uh in Podman and I need to build containers as well from um processes. So I use podman and podman for that. I definitely know what you're saying about the GitHub actions that I ran into. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if maybe we see some advances, uh, maybe down those lines. Yeah.
2: All right, we're buckling up against time here. Um, Any closing thoughts for anybody here?
1: Oh, I was going to say the uh, one thing I would like to do next uh, is uh, try to do some more uh, personal projects with this and run Kubernetes in a, um, a Raspberry Pi cluster. So nice. that, that maybe that could be a future topic of discussion. <laughs>
3: that sounds like a great idea, Mark. General question, just... Uh, I kind of touched on this, but... Uh... How do you, like, space out your uh, Kubernetes cluster? Do you basically have one cluster per environment for the database access and then, like, a single primary cluster for doing your main builds and stuff, like the artifacts that actually get promoted? It's... it's the,
1: the, 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 What we do is we have one uh, VPC and one cluster per AWS account. Okay. So, um... That's kind of, like, how they want us to do it, you know? Um... But it works out really well for the way we have it set up you know we can obviously namespace that inside of each account so if we need to you know if we need that separation we can still run things on the same clusters and and, uh, and stuff like that but uh for our for our purposes we stick to one vpc one cluster per aws account
0: but like and one aws account <laughs> What does that equate to in terms of workload, environment? Oh.
1: It's uh, it's basically, um, they're, they're different environments. So there's, there's like a production environment, like a non-production environment. There's a sandbox environment, whereas we can kind of run more experimental things and uh, um, unscripted things to, to test proofs of concepts and stuff like that. And then a pipe and then a like deployment pipelines account that's specifically for our CI C D
0: stuff. And then you do that for every single workload, or are there multiple workloads in each of those?
1: Uh there are, what do you what do you mean by a workload?
0: Um applications.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. No, there can be multiple workloads uh inside of the, an account. That's why I was saying like we can namespace those. So, if, you know, we have like a um, let's say we we have a CI environment, and that's where all of our integration tests and everything run. And then we have a UAT environment, which is for you know UAT product PO sign off stuff like that. We can run those both in the same and uh, an account, um, and then keep and still keep them separate from the production account can kind of walled off from that but um also like walled off from each other using namespacing
3: so would i be kind of correct in assuming that say you had an application and this application had you know database migrations that need to run so the application will say it gets built to a docker image along with all of its migration so assume that would happen on a cluster like in a shared services account you got the github workflow and these have jobs and each jobs can be on its own runner uh so you might have the build that happens in like a shared services account and you go to deploy it to dev and so then the dev deployed job in the workflow runs on the cluster in the dev account and then etc as you promote it up right exactly there's basically one cluster per environment uh that and they all have their own runners Mm -hmm. so yep yeah, every
1: account has its own runners. Some of, them, some of them are for VPC communications, rancher deployments, and some of them are for, you know, uh, running, like, special you know, end-to-end tests and uh, uh, other things so that require, uh, like, allow listing to
2: first-party and third-party vendors. All right. I <laughs> appreciate that uh, question you answered. Uh, So I just wanted to take an opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today uh, for our our episode of Tech Tech Leaders. I hope you found the uh, conversation informative and valuable. I wanted to, again, thank our our guests, uh, Tom, uh, our co-host, Tom, (laughs) uh, our guests, uh, Norman Witt and Kevin Lucas, uh, for being so knowledgeable about the topic um, and joining us here today. So um, thank you. As always, uh, we'll be back next week, so be sure to tune in. Thank you. Thanks for having me.